fuzzy logic your science on a sunday grab shell dudes because today we're talking turtles yes our favorite animals turtles there's something really appealing about turtles that we all love and today that's our theme for the show and who better to bring us the subject of turtles than someone who has been researching the subject in south america and now in canberra and he's doing his phd at the university of canberra and welcome to fuzzy logic bruno ferronato no thank you welcome everyone and uh back now joined by some other fuzzy logic regulars tom g'day tom good morning and jared good morning rod and turtles now Tell us a bit about turtles, Bruno. What's the difference between a turtle, a tortoise, and a terrapin, I think, is the other one. Yeah, so like a, a, a turtle, it's an animal that has this webbed feet. And uh, like a tortoise, it's an animal that has more like a elephant-type feet. And so terrapin is a term used in the U.S. for, for turtles. Yeah, so it's uh, just a, a name by like a Native American name there. So a turtle's more a, an aquatic animal and uh, is a tortoise more of a land animal? Is that explaining why the feet are different? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. What, so a turtle swims? You've got web feet? Yeah, they're, they're, they're like used for that. And, but anyway, there are some freshwater turtles here in Australia. They also do like overland migration. So even they have this webbed feet, they also can move overland. Oh, and our favourite, the long-necked turtle, which is the subject of your study at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. uh, what what brings you to Australia to to uh, look at the long-necked turtle? Yeah. So yeah, I came here to do my PhD with Professor Arthur George from University of Canberra. So I had some previous experience in South America working with turtles, and and I decided to do my PhD here working with him because he's very knowledgeable in turtles and has a long experience in that, yeah. So well, what is it about the long-necked turtle that in particular? Why, why the long-necked turtle? <laughs> yeah, so, so it's the species that occur here in the ACT. So when we decided to do like a project here in this area, so it was the species that occur here. But also another interesting thing that this family of uh, long-necked turtles, so it's called Chelidi, and we also have the same family in South America. Yeah, so we have the same family there. So by the time that the continents were together, so Australia and South America are together. So when they split, so we have we share that same uh, family. Uh, evolutionary past, like uh, no, I yeah. think in uh, South America you have some marsupials as well. Yeah, we have some marsupials. Also, we have some species of trees that you have here as well. So araucaria and other stuff that we have there we actually share as well. So the turtles is one of the things as well so ah. i think uh, yeah basically why i was like a like at the beginning of my studies i've read a lot of papers about long neck turtles here so they were based for several of my studies before so that's why i got to know like arthur george so then when i decided to do the phd i said uh, maybe i'll try with him uh, now i i, I do <laughs> like the long neck turtles and canberra listeners will be familiar with these if you're used to looking at the waterways around Canberra, the lakes and the ponds and so on, and you can just see the little nose poking up out of the water. <laughs> you look very carefully, but once you start to notice them, they're, they're quite common, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're very common here in Canberra. And like everyone who is, sometimes you are driving your car and you see like after rainy days in spring, it's very common to see animals crossing roads and a little bit dangerous because sometimes some animals get crashed on the, on the road, so you need to be careful when you are driving. <laughs> y- yes, I, re- I recall down in Tuggeranong, I was uh, walking uh, back to my car one day, and um, there's this big long-necked tortoise. It was quite large. H- how, how big do they, do they get? Yeah, they can, usually females are larger than, f- than males, but they can reach uh, like 25 centimeters, 26, and they can weight around a little bit less than two kilograms. It's almost the size of a small dinner plate. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and this thing was was just slowly waddling its way up towards the road. All my cars are woo, woo, going yeah. past, and I thought, I can't let you go that way, really. So I picked up this turtle, 
yeah. and uh, walked oh, probably 150, 200 metres to the nearest bit of water. Yeah. And I thought, no, you've got to go back that way. I might have been interfering with the turtle's behaviour a little bit, but I couldn't bear to see it flattened. Yeah. Was, was it actually a good thing for me to do, apart from steering it away from the road, people want to, want to stick them back in the water. Is that actually a good thing to do for a turtle? Yeah, that's all right, because you're, you are in some way like helping, but probably this demo, it will try again. So, like it's, a, it's like a, let's say... It's not bad in doing that because if you're putting in the in a pond that was probably was there, but some other uh, feature that people could do it protecting roads and culverts and things like that will actually help as well. So reducing impact on, what, on roads what, and turtles. What was it doing out on the, on the land? Why why was it uh, you know not just you know swimming around in the pond yeah, yeah. like the other turtles? Now we're yeah. into turtle psychology. I like this. <laughs> yeah. So especially this Easter long neck turtle. It evolved doing that, changing ponds, so to take advantage of food. So usually when you have a, like a rainy day, uh, you fill up uh, some uh, pools and the insects will lay their eggs. So you have like uh, larvae, insect larvae, that's usually what they eat. And so they will try to get advantage of that because they are not competing for fish, other things when they are, you know. So they just move to these pools to get that food. So that's why they are good in that and probably they are very good in locating where the ponds are so that it's it's a common behavior and especially this turtle it's so common doing that it's a little bit different in south america some species do that but it's not that common as here so you see this animal moving a lot of time so it's very common people in canberra can see that uh, ah, I, yeah. I guess it's adapted to the australian environment where we get long periods of dry yeah. long periods of wet and then when the wet comes, it, it's got to exploit the opportunity and go for it. So my brother-in-law's place, he has a little small property out near Yes, and he built a little dam. Mm -hmm. And it was only like a year later, and I was down wandering around his dam, and there's a little nose poking up <laughs> out yeah. of the water. Yeah, yeah. so they're they are good in locating water. and So we're not sure exactly if they use a sense of smell or, or their vision or maybe a combination of that but they're good in spotting areas where there, there is water so I've heard also of other people telling that so they build a pond in their property and then a year later turtles are are reaching there, so how come? But Tom, I think are good I, in that. <laughs> I, I like your, your description of that turtle psychology. And in fact, it's a bit similar to the common yabby, the, the Carex destructor, which the same thing, you know, there's a pond and the thing is breeding happily and it's crawling around the bottom eating the detritus and stuff like that. And then it gets a bit of rain and then you'll see them, they, they trundle across land and they go and find themselves new water holes. But I, don't you think there'd be an interesting study there? How do they do that? It'd be quite, it'd be quite something to learn, wouldn't it? Yeah. Which yabbies or turtles? Or both. Yeah. Maybe they hitch a ride. Both. Yeah. There, there's, are there little signs saying water this way, really good accommodation being developed upstream? Maybe yeah. they follow the waterways. Maybe they follow the creek yeah. lines or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah, um, I'm not sure about the habits, but turtles. Yeah, sometimes they go through waterways, or they just they they will see something in the in the environment. I don't, I don't know if it's the reflection of the when you have the the solar rays and reflects in in uh, clouds or something. Something they they can see and they s spot this, the place and they just go and. They're usually the turtles, they don't give up. They keep trying that. Uh, so one of the things that I'll explain a little bit later about my project, so when, if you have a fence in the middle, they'll just stay there and then try. They just maybe will wait until the, <laughs> the fence is gone, you know, but they will stay there. <laughs> I think that says a lot about why we love turtles so much. In fact, he's a gent who likes turtles. Here's a, here's a clip off YouTube, and it's a turtle song thanks to Bruce here on Fuzzy Logic. And today we're talking turtles. And uh, this particular track is called Myrtle. Myrtle the Turtle, I think, on Fuzzy Logic. I think. I've got a little pet and his name is Frank He's always very wet cause I keep him in a tank In my office in the city bank A long necked turtle is my little mate Frank A long necked turtle, his mother called him Myrtle Till he started doing what a Myrtle doesn't do 
But the bank's been booming since he came on deck Cause he isn't just a pretty face and wolf long neck No, oh no I got him as an egg at a very early age Thought he'd be a budgie so I put him in a cage Got a little ladder and a little bag of seed And a book on budgies for me white to read When she saw him hatch out, saw there was a catch out Funny bloody colour and he's got four wings He isn't very cuddly, in fact he's bloody ugly He falls off his ladder and he never sings but once in my office and swimming in his tank He soon became immersed in the business of the bank Noted each deposit and every payment made Who was overdrawn or had not been paid He continued learning, soon he showed a yearning To influence decisions that I had to make So if you were penniless and had a loan to take His neck would wobble and his head would shake No Last week Frank created quite a stink When his pocket calculator went upon the blink Banging on his window, water everywhere Threw his bowler hat in me maiden hair Soon he got a better one, albeit a wetter one Back in business was me little mate Frank Tap, tap, tapping, he was underway We took over Westpac the following day well, very soon the profit of the company had soared Frankie was appointed as the chairman of the board A company tank with water weeds and lights A little lady turtle to warm his nights When he started wooing, nearly brought us ruin Mine was often on the job and he was too But the phase soon passed and we all gave thanks Now there's lots of little turtles in our other banks Lots of little turtles, little Franks and Myrtles Shaking and nodding all the live long day so if you're having trouble with your banks Be sure to be kind to the turtles in the tanks And if you get your money You can all give thanks to the little myrtle turtles and the long neck franks Good morning, you're listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show here on 2XX 98.3 FM My name is Jared and joining me Today is the Commander-in-Chief of Fuzzy Logic, Rod. We also have Fuzzy Logic regular Tom and our special guest today, Bruno Ferranato, who is a PhD researcher at the University of Canberra, whose research looks in particular at the eastern long-neck turtle. Now, one of the things that I'm quite curious about the long-neck turtle, Bruno, is whether there's some sort of a, adaptive advantage to having a long-neck as a turtle what sort of things does it bring to your life as a turtle yeah so they use this neck uh, effectively to to hunt so they can strike like uh, move fast moving preys yeah so i think one of the reasons they having that is that also when they are when the, the way that they sometimes they do to to feed is just just open their mouth they have this ioid uh Bond, right. so they just open and make a gap and suck the water in. So, yeah, but mainly the long neck is to do that, to strike moving prey, fast-moving prey. Right, so you yeah. mentioned that they can, can strike. Is, is it true these turtles, I mean, we tend to think of them as being a fairly placid and uh, <laughs> uh, innocuous animal, but they can give you a bit of a bite. Is that is that oh. right? I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Some species, uh, I know that here in the Northern Territory that they have, like, the big heads and strong uh, muscles here in the jaw. So these animals sometimes can beat your finger off. Yeah, oh, really? also in South America as well. So you need to be careful with the species you are uh, handling or working. But the eastern long-necked turtles, they are, they are fine. They don't, won't do that. But some species, they actually can do that. Yeah. You haven't been bitten by one then? Uh, yeah, but not not a very, <laughs> like, let's say, dangerous one. But I've, I've been bitten, uh, but not nothing serious <laughs> happened. So you don't need to wear special protective gear when you go out <laughs> doing your turtle days. Yeah, I, I've seen that some species, like snapping turtles in the U.S., you know, so that one is really, <laughs> they can give you like a nasty bite and you need to be careful if you are handling. Sometimes they put a, a tube in their head so to do measurements and other things in, when, they are, when we are actually with the turtles because they can, they can bite you backwards. So because they have also, they don't have, they are not long neck turtles, but they have a long neck and they can go back and try to beat you, so to bite you. So 
yeah, you need to be careful with Ouch. species like that. So. And they're a bigger turtle too, are they? They've got yeah, a yeah. Bigger, bigger head, stronger yeah. jaws. Yeah. Uh, sharp beak? Is it? Sharp beak, yeah. They, it, they have a, a beak. Yeah, they have... Yeah, they have this uh, of keratin, but it's it's kind of a big because it has this big shape. Yeah, so it's it's <laughs> it's a bit dangerous. Yeah, I, I've worked for a while in the US as well, so and I, I've um, um, worked with a little bit, so I always taking care when I was doing stuff with them. Yeah. So uh, no no teeth. So what do they do? They they, they they go whack and grab themselves a bit of something, a bit of lunch out of the pond, yeah. and then they just crunch it up how do they swallow it or they just gulp it down whole or they yeah. shred it or what, what yeah do they, they, do? they sol swallow and probably their what's their stomach be very effective but i've seen that it, these animals they are also scavengers so let's say i've seen that like a dead animals or a dead fish in the pond and it's it's good to have that kind of uh mouth the sh mouth shape because it just can grab little bites and pieces of the the meat oh, so, so it sort of shreds it yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Now, another really interesting behavior I've seen of turtles is yeah. that they dig these little round holes. Yeah. And in fact, one, we were moving my daughter's house and we looked, leaned over the balcony and there was this little turtle and he's sitting there flipping away with his back legs. What's, what's he doing? Yeah, probably she was nasty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, yeah, usually, in, let's say in November, December, it's the time when they are, they are nesting. And they will do that behavior, like digging with their the back legs. So depending on the the soil, if it's a hard soil, they can take a long time. If it's a little bit softer, they will do it faster. But they they do that and they dig a nest, lay their eggs, and they then then they cover and they can make they call it like a nest plug. That is something that is is a thick. Uh, usually, what they do. They go and make the nest, do all that soil that they, they dig, they put it back on the top and they use their body and they keep like smashing, you know? So they make movements with their plastron and they smash the, <laughs> that so they make a, a thick uh, layer of, they call it nest plug. And usually that is a very effective way of protecting the, their eggs. So. And usually these animals, they will, they will lay after a rainy day, so the soil is a little bit softer. But after you have like a sunny day, and that, that layer that I s said will st start to, let's say, cook in the sun, and they'll become very thick. And so that avoids the, the nest of being uh, drowned when, when we have rains, and also avoid foxes or predators finding that, because it, it kind of isolates a little bit more the, the nest cavity. So it's a, it's a very interesting thing. And I've seen that in the field. So it was really amazing seeing the animal actually moving their body. And maybe she does for maybe five minutes, stop, rest, do it again, and keeps doing that. And sometimes all the, the laying process can take two hours. Huh. <laughs> yeah, so they are, they are amazing. Yeah. They'd be quite vulnerable during that time, would they? Yeah, to yeah. Predators? Yeah. They, they can, yeah. So in some time, what they do, they... They don't stay so close to the nest when they are nesting. They'll go a little bit uh, far away uh, to avoid, let's say, that the nest would, if there is a lot of rain, you can drown the, uh, drown the nest because of a flood or something like that. So they take that risk of being more far away because the chance of surviving of the hatchlings is larger, but they're also exposed to some, let's say, predators or other things. But I, I've, I've, uh, I've read information that sometimes they're ravens, so the ravens here, they take advantage when they see a turtle nesting. They go there and pick their head uh, with their beak, keep picking their heads, and this animal will stop uh, laying and come back to the pond, and they eat the eggs. So yeah, they are they are more. Yeah, the ravens are, are very smart birds. And, yeah. uh, and and Canberra listeners, if you're wandering around the lakes and ponds around Canberra in the, in the grassy area, you can see the little shallow dish depressions that these turtles they seem to dig these out and they're about what a couple of inches deep yeah and then they often seem to abandon them so i've often seen these little dishes yeah. little hollows where they've dug out and then they wander away and then don't actually use them for some reason yeah. maybe they're disturbed perhaps while yeah probably they are disturbed some foxes they are really good also in finding nests so when if a, like a, a 
turtle laid the eggs, and the foxes next day they will be searching around, and they usually dug these nests, they will eat, and they leave the uh, this the nest cavity itself like open. So initially, when I started working here, I was it was, it was a little bit hard to find nests. So <laughs> my professor said, "Ah, go in the field, and you'll see it's easy to find a nest." But it actually took me <laughs> a long a little bit of time to spot a nest. So what is actually a nest? And one of the things that helped me finding it's finding like predated ones. So because I was walking the field and I, I, I saw exactly what you said, so that, that cavity, a little bit of shells on, on the surroundings. And I said, oh, okay, so this is a predated uh, nest. And I, and I start to uh, walk around these areas and I usually could find uh, an intact nest close to these ones. So it was the way that I started finding us. After that, I got my eyes got more used with in finding us. So, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. now yeah. I remember that that little story that I told earlier about picking up the turtle and moving her probably mm -hmm. away from the road yeah. was uh, mm. this strong smell coming out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was dare I say it, she pissing on me? Yeah. So yeah, they have uh, four glands. In their plastrons, and when you get them, they will just <laughs> release that. It's a kind of liquid, and so, and yeah, it's true. Avoid like predators, something like this, and humans as well. So it's it's a natural behavior, and here, especially in this species, is very strong. And sometimes they can also, I've seen the animals like they spray that on you because it's so there are so many there and strong. So. <laughs> Yeah. I'm guessing it deterred you from, say, wanting to eat the turtle after you found it, though, Rod. And you go, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the idea is you go, oh, that you really smell bad. <laughs> how bad must you taste? Yeah, how bad must you taste is probably a, a natural defense mechanism. Well, here on Fuzzy Logic, we are talking turtles with, with me, Rod, Jared, Tom, and our guest, Bruno Ferranato, and here is a dude who's appeared on YouTube with about 50 million hits. Check out what he's got to say. And by the way, when you listen to this, he's dressed up like a zombie. Back here live at the Waterfront Village with my friend, the zombie, Jonathan. You're looking good. Jonathan just got an awesome face paint job. What do you think? I like turtles. All right. You're great zombie. And yeah, he good likes time. turtles, and we also like turtles. We can't figure out why he's dressed like a zombie but says he likes turtles, but turtles are cool. Now, Bruno, you've got a really interesting backstory because you didn't just arrive in Canberra talking about turtles because you, you've been working with turtles for a long time. You worked in the United States, but also in the deepest jungles of Peru. <laughs> now, yeah. there's, there's amazing stories you've got, I think, about that. So... How did you get into doing that? Yeah. So after doing my master's in Brazil, I also worked with turtles there. And so we moved uh, with my family to, to Peru. And then for a while, I, like, I, start, I, work, I work in a project and then I wrote a grant. So I got a small grant to do some turtle work there. And then I started uh, doing turtle research in the Amazon. So in the Amazon in central Peru. So it was... Uh, very nice experience and yeah i imagine the turtle diversity in the amazon is greater than the act uh <laughs> how many species of turtle do you find around the amazon yeah where where i was working in the especially specifically in the region i was working it had like five species but you can reach up like 20 or more just in the amazon basin yeah so we have a lot of species there so yeah Okay, what kind of work were you doing with the turtles? Yeah, so I was doing like a, a research on, so if the animals, uh, how are their populations, are big, big numbers or small numbers. I also work with some studies in diet of the turtles and also with traditional knowledge, so indigenous traditional knowledge on the turtles as well, so with the indigenous communities over there. Well, Tom, we've got plenty more stories that we want to hear from you about your experiences, but you brought some music in for us, and here's a track called Marissa Monte. Yeah. Why have you chosen this? <laughs> yeah, so this lady, she's a, a very a famous singer in Brazil, and she's, good, she's a good one. She's singing a, a music there about uh, Jorge Benjor, so I think it's a good combination of a good singer and a good songwriter. Okay, here on Fuzzy Logic, and I guess Bruno, who's a lover of turtles. Ooh, ooh. 
Good morning. You're listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show here on 2XX Radio 98.3 FM. My name is Jared. Joining me today is Rod, the Commander in Chief of Fuzzy Logic, Fuzzy Logic re- regular Tom, as well as Bruno Ferranato, PhD researcher at the University of Canberra, looking at turtles. So we were just talking to Bruno before the song about his time in the Amazon in Peru. Um, what were the laboratory facilities like in the deepest Amazon? <laughs> yeah, so you didn't have actually like a big structure there. So, yeah, we would have our gears to do the, our field work and then just, you know, go into the, the forest, have our tents and things like that and do our research. But it was much uh, difficult, the field work, compared to what I'm doing here. Yeah, all the logistics, let's say. I can imagine. Uh, you couldn't, say, drive from the university out to the turtle nest and just count turtles. Or Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, so what would happen? So we were living in this small town in the, in the, in close in the Amazon. So, and then we would get like a boat. So we would go by boat by around two hours to the native community that I was working. Then I would meet my uh, field guide. So the, a local guy that would help there. Then we would walk for around um, maybe 40 minutes with all our equipments. And then <laughs> we'd get to a, a, like a small river. So, and then go by, by canoe. So set all our equipment in this canoe to get to the, to the pond, to the lagoon. In fact, the lagoon that we would work and set all of our, our stuff there and our tent. So we would camp there for a week and do our turtle work for for about a year uh like once per month uh, would stay there for around 10 days doing that okay great that's um if you're staying out there for a week you'd have to bring food as well all that kind of stuff yeah so it would bring some food from the from the town but also we would uh, fish and hunt there. <laughs> Sounds like fun science. This is like Indiana Jones of science here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was mainly my, my local guide. He was good in doing that, so he would hunt. And also, when we were setting traps to, to, to trap the turtles, we would catch fish as well. So we would eat that fish. Oh, great. Yeah, so it was a, a good combination. We would, wouldn't need to take so much food with us, and so we would expect getting food there, yeah. Okay. Uh, so when you were out there, what, what kind of work were you doing? What equipment did you need? What yeah. was actually involved in the field? Yeah, we would need like a, a small canoe to go in the, in the pond and would need like gill nets. And so we'd set like five gill nets in the, in the pond and then we'd come back to our site in the beach. In a, it's a beach, I say it's a river beach. Okay. Yeah, in, in this river. So usually the, the animals, it's easy to trap animals in the dry season. So the rivers will be low and you have exposed this sand the beach in rivers. So we would stay there in our camp. And then every three hours we'd check the nests. So And we did that for at night. We'd remove the nets okay. early in the morning, put the nets again and check every three hours. Because if the animals stay more than three hours, it could die. Sure. Yeah, so you're checking regularly the nets. And de- doing that for a week or more. Yeah. And were you counting the numbers of turtles in the area? Yeah, yeah. We were counting, marking the animals, and measuring, taking measurements, also looking for nests. So, so we did that. And with recapture animal, we'd know that's the same animal because we have a like a code, and ma- when we mark their scutes. Yeah. Okay. So you you're doing what they call the, the mark recapture method, where yeah, you, you yeah, capture an animal, you mark it. You let it go, and then from there, if you catch it again, you can estimate the population in the region. Is that? Yeah, is that, that, that's exactly that. Yeah, so doing that, capturing, recapturing, we can estimate population sizes. Also, we can sometimes have uh, the turtle growth. You ha- can have turtle growth rates. Let's say if you get a juvenile and you mark them, and after five months, let's say, you trap this animal again, you can actually see how 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 they how long they have measured they oh. have a growth sorry yeah so the uh, tortoises like the galapagos tortoises are famous for living for really long times in fact there's a story uh, just come out that uh, lonesome george he was the last of a particular breed of galapagos turtle they've just thought him out because he was in deep freeze but he was the last species of, of his species 
And they live for something like 100, 200 or even longer years, don't they? Yeah. What, yeah. what about the ones that the river turtles where you were? Yeah. Over there, yeah, they can... We don't know exactly how how many years they can live, but it's around 30, 40 years in in, in the wild. They, we, they, we assume that it's about that. So, yeah, they, they are long-lived animals and, yeah. How old do they have to be before they can breed? Yeah, usually the species where I worked, it's around uh, like 12 years when they they reach a size that they are mature. So also here in this the Australian species, the one that I'm working here, it's like the long neck turtles when they reach like the females more than uh, 14.5 centimeters. It's usually when they become, in fact, they become the they are not juveniles anymore, so they'll become is easy to see if they are male or females and usually the males after the 14.5 centimeters they are ready uh, they are mature but the females take a little bit more a little bit of growth more so when they are more than 16.5 centimeters they can have eggs what would that be in year in total years How yeah would be? yeah probably okay. around uh, maybe 12 years or something really? nine to 12 yeah, it depends if also the if you are in a probably during uh, uh, wet years when you we have more water and more food so they can grow faster, but when you have during drought so so depend on the food availability. Does it make them vulnerable to a population decline? Because an animal that takes a long time before it can breed, mm-hmm. and then are, are they very prolific when they do? Does does it mean that they are prone to a crash in population because they have to live long enough? Yeah, yeah. If you have something that is interrupting their their cycle, and let's say they have a lot of animals getting killed before they reach maturity, maturity. Yeah, you can have like an impact over do, a population. Do you think that's an issue in either uh, the long neck turtle or in the the rivers in Peru? Uh, yeah. What what happened there? It's so. In fact, you have like a big uh, trade of animals. So because people consume that, uh, the turtle meat and also the turtle eggs, like the local communities, but also in, in the cities. So usually if just local people, they are eating that, it's part of their tradition to eat turtles. So that's not a big problem. The problem is when you have trade involved. So you have somebody that is just catching turtles, not just for their own consumption, but to sell. So usually this person will try to find many animals as they as he can to sell and somebody you have people trying to sell them to the cities then oh a couple of questions come to mind then mm-hmm. are they suitable for farming and mm. what do they taste like uh yeah they probably taste good <laughs> yeah but you mean farming raising them in ponds and yeah yeah okay yeah. They, they, they can do that but in s- there are some experiences of people raising them farming them but they take so long so many so long to grow and be at a good size so it's let's say people think that it's easier just getting them from the wild mm. because it takes a long time them to actually have like a, a good size for for the trade let's say see maybe if we got into a factory farming situation we could pump them full of steroids and increase the growth rate <laughs> and we could make a viable meat industry <laughs> sounds like an ethical approach Tom let's not question the ethics of meat consumption <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. We're, we're all wearing various animal products around our body uh, just tell, uh, tell us a bit more about what they taste like but both the Australian long neck have you eaten Australian long uh, neck? no no I, I haven't I on haven't that tried. note I, when I was preparing for this show I was excited that we were having a turtle man come on and I told some friends about it and I heard an urban legend which I'd like you to either confirm or deny okay. which is that turtles can carry salmonella on, the, on, their, uh, on their skins yeah that, that's true in fact so some species they have salmonella on their like cloaca okay yes yeah, so especially kids when they are handling turtles it's it's very like wise to always wash your hands and just remember them to do it that to do that because some species they can have that especially this uh, u.s turtle the red ear slider it's okay. a, a common species in the the trade market around the world and there were some reports years ago that kids get infected by salmonella so yeah it's always when you are Handling reptiles is always good to wash your hands, especially kids. Yeah. So, is it likely to be a defense mechanism or just a coincidence? No, yeah, I think they just have that in their body, it's part of their natural uh, flora, the bacterial sure. flora. So, 
yeah, but can be a problem if you're handling that. And if you're cooking it, you should cook it well to make sure it kills all the bacteria. <laughs> yeah, clean that very well and well, cook. <laughs> I, I do know that the uh, Australian Aborigines up in Arnhem Land do eat them. And I've heard them telling stories about where during the dry season, the, the water level's down, but there's still mud. And they have a spear and they would walk along and they're poking the spear into the mud as they go. And then every so often they hear like a dunk. Yeah. And that would be a turtle who kind of buried itself into the mud and then they would eat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a kind of common way of uh, hunting them. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. So what was the attitude of the locals in Peru? How did you find them and what did they think of the work you were doing? Yeah, they usually were having fun. So let's say they'd find like a little bit weird that somebody working with turtles in their community, let's say. Because if I was telling, okay, I'm working with turtles here, they'd just... And you should just laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't understand why turtles are important. Yes. Really? Yeah. So it's because maybe it's, it's part of their. They're just used seeing turtles around. Yeah. And would say they would work with turtles because some other projects that were in these communities, they were like working with timber and other things that sometimes, let's say, they were, sell, they were seeing in that like a benefit like the timber, that they could sell timber. But you say, like, more biology stuff, like working with turtles, they would just, initially, they would, wouldn't think that that was important. But, did, yeah. did, did it ever occur to them that they might be over-harvesting the turtle population? Uh, some of them, they, they know that, talking to them, that the population have, like, diminished. So one part of my job there was to ask them why they, f why they think that the turtles have diminished or, or did they think that turtles have diminished? And they said, oh, yeah. So why do you think? So they were giving me the explanations why they think that they have f uh, diminished. So, and I was reporting that. So it was very interesting. And that was uh, coinciding with the, what is in the literature. So why turtles have diminished? So the trade and other things, because they have reported things mainly during the 70s and during the 80s that big boats were coming from larger cities down in the Amazon, were coming to these small uh, villages and trading things with the locals. So trading uh, not only turtles, but also um, skins of animals like jaguars and, and so other animals. So they're trading. And so they, they remember that. Do they have any sense of management in the sense that we would talk about, like managing a fishery, managing a, a wildlife reserve? Um, yeah, not really, but they had some attitudes that, let's say, the traditional knowledge would help that. But in some ways, they they were not thinking that because sometimes, you know, they were fishing there using dynamite. <laughs> oh, what? Dynamite fishing is it's no. something that's really common in the Amazon, dynamite fishing. Uh, really? Yeah, so they usually will go with their canoes and find the, like, deeper areas in the rivers and they just throw a dynamite there and <laughs> boom. And then you just, and they collect the fish there, so. Do they have any sense of what that's doing to their own river, their own food supply? Yeah, they know that it's, it will affect, but they need food right now for their kids, let's mm -hmm. say. It's what they tell us. I, I cannot wait, I need to have fish, so. So that's why they were doing. So I think some of the projects that were there, they were trying to tell them that to see like the big picture of that, doing that, that's yeah. better hunt a little bit more and also have some other alternatives instead of just uh, having fish, but also having other kind of farm animals or chicken that also they could have protein, let's say, uh, not, not only depending on fish. So yeah, because so that kind of behavior would impact on the long term in the, the fish, the amount of fish they have there. So yeah, they've got to realize that they might be able to get a good meal today by dropping a bomb over the side but next year or the year after that they mightn't get any at all before. true but a hungry belly today is a great motivation so it's it's one of those tough questions yeah. balancing the conservation or ecology yeah. concerns with economic concerns of subsistent villages um, yeah we're coming to a, a part of the topic which is really quite you know something that's a bit different to what most of us in Australia have to worry about because we do a fairly good job of managing our fisheries and so on parts of the world like the Amazon and the clearing of the jungle and that sort of thing and population growth uh, it's pretty um, pretty serious stuff so we're talking today about turtles with our guest 
Bruno Ferranato. What a fascinating su- uh, subject it is, Bruno, and I'm delighted to have you on the program today. Now, you've chosen another piece of music for us, and it's by someone named Jorge or Jorge. Jorge? Uh, 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 in my accent, so Georgie. Georgie? <laughs> ben Jor. And wh- 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 why have you chosen this one? Yeah, it's also a good, uh, a good uh, music player in Brazil, so it's a samba rock. That's the rhythm that he, he plays, so it's a good one. Papai. Quem, hein? Quem vai ser papai? Menina mulher da pele preta. Menina mulher. And on Fuzzy Logic Two Double X, your science on a Sunday, we're talking turtles with our guest Bruno Ferranato who is studying for his PhD at the School of Applied Science at the University of Canberra. And here's a word that I looked up prior to coming on to the show. I'm not sure I can pronounce it properly. Maybe you can help me with this, Bruno. It's yes. chelonophobia <laughs> or, or chelona. Is it? How do you pronounce this word? Chelona? Uh, um, yeah, I would say, yeah, I think in Australia they would say chelonia. Yeah. Chelonia yeah. phobia. Yeah. So <laughs> guess what word that is? And it, yes, it is a real word. And I had this little story about someone saying that they ha- they had chelonophobia, which is a fear of turtles. Oh. <laughs> and they couldn't bear to look at a turtle without quivering. <laughs> now, uh, before the song break, Bruno, we were talking about your experiences in the, an Amazon region of the South America and the, and the natives and the management of the resources down there. What's happening to the population in that district? Is it growing? Is it fairly static? Is it how many people roughly are in in that area? Uh, yeah, so it's around all, all the the region where I was working around maybe nine thousand people. Yeah, it's it's not so much, but so because you have these communities more dispersed. But so the the town where I was living. Let's say you had like 2,000 people, and then you have the communities around. So let's say two hours by boat, anything like this. But they have their communities would have one community would have 300 people, and the other one would have 300, 500, and some they were even smaller. But so it's it was it was not like a a big. It was not a big population there, but yeah, spread spread out a bit. And were yeah. the clearings in the jungle? Was it thick jungle all around? No, it's cleared. I cleared. Yeah, yeah. What they told me that basically in the, until the 60s, so it was still like a very thick forest and they were have game animals everywhere, <laughs> turtles and everything. And then from the 70s and 80s, as I commented before, that they have the, having these boats came, coming from Iquitos, Pucalpa, so these larger cities coming to trade. They were coming there to trade with local communities. So prob- like the locals, they were hunting hunting these animals to sell to the to the traders so sell like jaguars tapirs uh the wild pigs and all, all that stuff so and also they're clean clearing more the se- selling uh, timber as well so basically from the 70s 80s that started to have more impact and then right now you go there the area where i was working is very yeah you don't have so much left we still have a little bit of forest, but not so many game animals like big ones, tapirs, and things like that. You have to be in a more isolated area to see something like that. Are, are they converting the cleared areas into farming land? Yeah, yeah. Sugar or what? What sort of crops would they? Yeah, be? they have um, uh, crops. Uh, yeah, crops. <laughs> uh, I just <laughs> forgot the name. Uh, Maize. Uh, <laughs> corn. Corn. Yeah, corn. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> it was just my English. So uh, corn. So they are having corn and also a chiote that is that that painting the red painting that they used to oh. paint themselves so oh, they, okay. yeah yeah so they sell that to the industries in lima so in the capital of peru so they have they have they trade that as well so they they deforested the area plant that and that happened another thing that also happens in the area that was working they have plantations of coca Okay. Yeah, so also it's uh, something that in the community that I was working, it's growing a little bit. So also have problems with that. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and these places are fairly basic in their modern facilities. So before we came on the show, you were saying that you used to do a radio 
some radio program work yeah. in that area yeah. and people just listened on transistor radios because what they didn't have um 24 hour or they didn't have electricity yeah. supplies like we do yeah no they don't have that is in the community they don't have some communities they as they are trading things so they have some of them they have a bit of money they will have generators power generators in their in their home so to keep a little bit of electric electricity but they don't have like uh, electricity as we have here and also in the city the, the city in this town that i was talking about like two thousand people they have electricity there but usually in the rainy season uh, you won't have sometimes electricity for a week or something so it was a bit challenging working there so let's say uh, I'm writing a report or a paper and then I don't have electricity for a week so I have to go <laughs> to an office in the in another in another company or something not company but another place just to to use my computer there because they had electricity so it was very very uh, different situation and challenging oh, yeah, so no, no, no paper and pen in like the good old days <laughs> not, not even little solar panels you could recharge your, your laptop bat batteries uh, on yeah there were some in some areas but not in our office where we were working so and what about the mm -hmm. water and sewage services do they have any uh no <laughs> so what, what, how did that work yeah i think that yeah would go to the they have uh something uh fossa i'm not sure the name in english but you know they built something in their backyard in the we call house. that a dunny dunny yeah so they have something like that so yeah a pit yeah a pit yeah yeah they have a and, pit. and what about drinking water yeah it, it would need to um to warm up your water to uh, boil it boil it. you need to boil that you just can't drink water from the tap as here could as the well. natives drink from the tap yeah or they, they yeah. drink from the tap so but they are more used with the the floor water, but we from the city that go there to work we need to take a little bit of care because you could get sick if you are not taking some care <laughs> now what, what about uh, the things that want to suck your blood so mosquitoes and i'm imagining these leeches where you sneak up behind on it you stamp on its tail you wrap your one arm <laughs> around the neck and with the other you, you slit it straight no, yeah. uh, but I imagine they've got man-hunting leeches in, in this part of the world. Uh, yeah, but where I was working in that spot, not so common. You have a lot of mosquitoes, and not so common malaria. You would have, if you go a little bit further, down to the, to the, to the forest, but not where we were, so leishmaniosis as well. So, yeah, you need to take care a little bit of care, but, yeah. Piranhas? Huh? Piranhas? Pir ah, yeah, piranhas, but this is a kind of legend. But yeah, we need to take care of the also anacondas, yeah, as well. But yeah, that's common stuff. So just common sense and be be careful and <laughs> listen to the to the native people. Look Obviously. out for giant snakes, that kind of thing. Yeah, but they're not so common over there anymore as well. And also, some people they used to hunt uh, the giant anacondas there to sell the skin. So, but some of the, usually who are doing that were not native because usually natives, they respect these animals and they are afraid of it. So yeah, we were talking a little bit before about some legends that they have in the community. So they have several legends there that they fear some ponds and some big lagoons. They call like magic lagoons. And let's say they would avoid hunting there because they believe if you get in that in that uh, lake, the magic lagoon, this, the, it would start to shake the ground and it could, you could drown. And over there, the boa, like the big anaconda, would live there. So they avoid hunting some areas. So in some ways, like they get afraid of some areas and they would, wouldn't hunt that. So it's good for the yeah, <laughs> for Good the for the ecology there. there, I guess, too. It would be huh? helpful if you could instill these, these legends in places that were threatened. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's another way of seeing it, like the legend and respecting that. And also it can help conserving animals and you can have like a source sink population dynamics sometimes because you know that people, they can hunt in some areas, but they don't hunt. They, they don't hunt in some areas. So you, you can have like population growth in some areas of other animals and these animals, they can move around. And, you know, so this kind of source sink population model, we're mm. just commenting on things like that so it can happen yeah other other experiences in the amazon 
some some native communities they don't hunt in some periods of the year or some like um, pregnant woman they don't eat some kind of uh, uh, like meat or or some animal or the turtle eggs let's say because they they believe that they will get sick or have something with the baby so they avoid doing that so there are a lot of taboos there that in some ways can help avoiding overconsumption of some animals uh, just sorry just uh, a story that while I was working there and looking for turtle nests in the sandy beaches in the river so like a a lady that she was probably around her 70s she would talk to me and say that uh, she believes that young people it's better don't eat the the turtle turtle eggs just the old ones not but not the young ones because they believe that the the kid will get this turtle laziness <laughs> you know <laughs> let's say a turtle laziness from the turtle so they would avoid just the adults could eat but not the kids hmm. yeah so it's one of the things you know the taboos that they have that avoid consumption so yeah. what, uh, having seen all this what's your overriding impression of the the future of the area and and, and this conservation yeah yeah it's a bit it's a bit hard because if you have only like the native communities there would be a little bit easier to do that but you have other people from outside coming and and hunting this area so this magic lagoons that i i commented mm -hmm. so there were for, not foreigners but people not from the communities that they they're not they don't believe in that let's say they would go there and hunt did so you, did you see tension between them do you, do you think uh not so much but in some other areas there are illegal people coming inside and can have tensions and can have yeah, actual problems within the native communities and the other we say caboclos other people that that live there so yeah because sometimes they come to the communities and get timber they kill animals and other things just for trading so this can be a problem and you either can have conflicts between native communities and also this um these guys yeah yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, preserving the the nature and, uh, and finding ways to do it. I've had a couple of stories before we uh, came on air, and one is that uh, in poachers in the Rio Grande, or Rio, sorry, the, the Grande Riviera mm -hmm. in uh, Trinidad, would ransack turtles' eggs nests, and so they've now turned that around, and they're not doing that anymore it's because they realise they get more money from the tourists. But a recent thing that happened was. A bunch of bozos with bulldozers with <laughs> buried a whole bunch of them. So, so it's new ways to uh, make these into a, the, to preserve the wildlife yeah. and make it into a, a, a proposition that uh, the locals can benefit from. Well, with that, it's thank you very much for your time today, Bruno. It's been yeah, a very interesting and fascinating talking to you this morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, guys. And. <laughs> And uh, today on uh, in the Canberra Times, we've got our Ask Fuzzy column, which kind of coincides quite neatly with the fact that today is the anniversary of the death of Charles Goodyear, who died in 1860 at the age of 59. And Goodyear, of course, is the guy who invented the process of vulcanization of rubber. And of course, rubber comes from South America. So it all kinds of lines up beautifully. <laughs> yeah. But the Ask Fuzzy question, which uh, a reader sent me, was how does an eraser work? You know, the, you know, when you want to rub out a pencil, how does that work? That's pretty interesting. So we had some fun with that. So check today's Canberra Times and you can see my answer to that question in there. Now, next weekend, we were going to have uh, an Occam's razor that I recorded recently with Robin Williams going out on the ABC Radio National. But I got bumped for some politician who's retiring. I'm so sad about that. And don't forget... We've got our cyborgs paddle coming up uh, during National Science Week. That's in August. So thanks, Tom and Jared. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. Plenty more fun coming up on Fuzzy Logic. Catch you later.